Look, MotoGP, I'm just saying, you've had race of the year contenders every time Dre Harrison has been in the building this year. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. RJ O'Connell leading the introductions on this episode number 462 of Motorsport 101, where today we're going to be talking about MotoGP's British Grand Prix. Uh, with me, as always, as you know, is uh, your friend Cam Buckley. How's, it, how's the weather up there in, uh, in sunny New England? Uh, you got your Duncan spiked yet? Um, no, because if I'm drinking a coffee, I'm not trying to relax. And if I'm drinking alcohol, I'm not trying to wake up. Um, uh, the weather is currently cloudy and it's going to rain in the next hour. Cause I was going to go walk down to my favorite sandwich shop and get dinner. And I'd rather not swim home. Well, instead of a sandwich, you can enjoy a, a hearty nutrition packed review of what was as, uh, as Dre Harrison would put it, the best MotoGP race of the season bar not, not even close. This one is an easy choice. And just think, I could probably take a bite out of one of those MotoGP bikes. It's not like they're good for anything else. (laughs) Okay, so motorsport101.com for all things Motorsport 101, podcast, written material. You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. This month of August, early access to all of our shows is just one dollar a month that's an 80 percent discount on the normal rate for early access who doesn't love a sale at a time like this it's back to school season it's just about fall everybody's looking to save where they can so consider that ten dollars gets you into the supporters club of our discord community for where you can listen to these shows as they're being recorded and you know where else to find us instagram motorsport 101 pod facebook motorsport 101 the platform formerly known as twitter at motorsport underscore 101. But I'm leading the way here because I want to tee it up for Dre because this was a big opportunity for you, buddy. This was your first time doing something that I've had the privilege of doing several times. But if anybody has earned this opportunity to be on location at the British Grand Prix with a media pass, God damn it, buddy, it's you. So what was it like? Tell us about it. Oh, God. Um, forgive me. This is going to be probably a good five minutes just to break all of this down, um, first and foremost. But hi, as you as you can probably guess, Dre Harrison here, um, happily in the uh, co-host's chair on this occasion. Um, yeah, um, the, the story is, is that when I was in the WTF1 clubhouse um, looking after everybody over there, um, I got a uh, interesting DM on uh, Slack chat from uh, Glenn Freeman, who you may know from the Bring Back V10s podcast, does generally excellent work for the race. He just said to me, Dre, we've got an opportunity for you. Um, Monster Energy want to have a guest experience what the Grand Prix is like. And, uh, well, uh, our guy can't make it. No one else is available. We're an expanded company now because for those guys who don't know, the race is uh, the parent company of WTF1 now. Mm. Um, they were like, Dre likes bikes. Get Dre to do it. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> and, you, uh, like, you like bikes? 
I I am the shocked. only one. Yeah, I, I'm the only one of the WTF one panel that regularly watches MotoGP. Um, besides you our change that. resident I, bike enjoyer, resident bike enjoyer Dre Harrison, and they were like, Dre, do you want to go? And I'm like, I'll happily come back, especially given that. And again, a huge f- shout out and thank you to Monster for this. Um, they covered everything: travel, um, hotel. They put me up in a four-star hotel for the weekend. It was incredible. Like, room service. I had room service for the first time ever. You, you enjoy it. Oh, man. Like, I have never ordered. It was a, like a honey-infused meat feast pizza the first night I was in the oh, hotel. Oh, God. Now I hot want pizza. Honey. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, hot honey is one of one of the wonders of the world. It is a, on everything. It is a tremendous creation. I, I do love it. It's it's, it's, it's delicious. Um, so, yeah, Monster put me up in there for the weekend, and we had a bunch of different activities. The Thursday was media day. And, like, first and foremost, the walk to get around Silverstone is nuts. It, it, it got easier because for Saturday and Sunday, we had VIP village passes. So and I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later, but we had to walk 25 minutes to get from the front entrance of Silverstone to where the paddock is because the, the paddock is now where the Hamilton straight start finish line is. This was the first year in MotoGP. They've, they've used that start finish line, not the old start finish line, um, oh, I thought cops. this is what Brent was supposed to fit. Yeah. <laughs> RJ, I'll have you know that Brexit means Brexit. Um, and because obviously I'm a monster, I'm a, it was, I was, I was there on behalf of Monster. Um, they lined up interviews with all of their monster sponsored athletes. So, for those who don't know, that's Luca Marini, Barco Bezzecchi, more on him in a bit, um, Francesco Bagnaia, Enea Bastianini, and Fabio Quattararo. Um, so me and this group of um, a bunch of other um, guests that also were journalists were there with me. Um, shout out to Imogen, Patrick, and Rob. You might know Rob Jones from Crash.net if you're into your bike coverage. Um, all great company, all lovely people, um, genuinely delightful to, to share so much time with them um and just pick their brains over just the world of journalism in general and um they were they were all like i i, I cannot stress this enough everybody who gave their time for interviews was great i'm not i'm not gonna and i'm not just saying this to, to not bitch about people on a podcast that a few hundred people regularly listen to i'm genuinely saying it they were all very nice people very generous of their time, very candid. Luca Marini dropped a couple of zingers about how MotoGP badly needs its own drive to survive, and I couldn't quite get a good enough answer to turn it into a written article for WTF1. But it's strange think- because they did they did try it recently, they did. but apparently, like it flopped because like a lot of the audience just like wouldn't read subtitles. Yeah, like, for those who don't know, that's MotoGP Unlimited. They brought it out last year. Um, the problem was was that it was in Spanish, and a lot of people just – you'd be surprised how many people don't like subtitles. Um, some people do. Like, if you're an anime watcher, you pro- chances are you probably have. Um, I've watched many a Yu-Gi-Oh! series um, with, with, you know, subtitles, but some people just aren't into that, and that's fair enough. Um that and the fact that one of the big markets for it was obviously us in the UK and um, Amazon Prime botched up the botched the rollout, and I think that put a lot of people off um, from the initial hype of it coming out. Um, it, it tanked, 
and that's why I got called after one season. So Luca Marini was great. Marco Bezzecchi loved the fact that we were both Inter Milan fans. So we, we, he loved the fact that I interviewed him while wearing an Inter shirt. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, um, again, incredibly polite. Like The VR46 Academy does a brilliant job of teaching riders very good English and also just being polite and just incredibly kind people like just all very very nice people and again shout out to the mooney vr 46 camp they put us up there in their hospitality all weekend long as well and their you food to was watch like stuff yeah. part of this from their garage yeah <laughs> which like, had to I, be fun oh the saturday the saturday i was a vip in the back of their garage during um during fp3 um on saturday morning where the rain was absolutely pissing it down they were going 20 seconds a lap slower um than what they were doing in dry conditions and like i'm three feet from luca marini's moto gp bike three like he's the other you know like there's a wall when the riders sit in the back when they're going through setups and shit like that there is a wall on that left hand side on, on it'll be marini's right I'm on the other side of that wall. I can see his head over the wall. It's, that's how close I was. Um, got to shake hands with Uccio's. I, I praised him for saying, well done for learning English really well because he's done a couple of TNT sports interviews lately and his English has massively improved. And I always have a lot of time and respect for people that have gone out of their way to learn. Um, takes a lot of doing. And um, yeah, like again, all very, very nice people. Big shout out to the VR46 team who were incredible incredibly generous and gracious with all all the extra perks they gave us like being in their hospitality wing having an infinite supply of monster um and interviews with their riders francesco bagnaia in particular we only had 10 minutes for him he gave us 25 like bagnaia is just wow. a class act um again all lovely people fabio quadraro was incredibly candid very honest for a man who's not having a good time mm. in, in moto gp to say the least and still gave us smiles time selfies you name it he was just a a very very nice man um shout out to all of them um i've got to give a mention as well for the fact that friday was a genuine career highlight for me because not only did i was was able to sit down with a bunch of great media folks and pick their brains um i got a scooter ride around parts of the track and i got 45 minutes of randy mamola and for those who do know about the quality of British bike racing coverage or European in general, because it was Eurosport. That team in the 2000s growing up, you know, the team of Toby Moody, Julian Ryder, Neil Spalders, and um, and Randy Mamola were an incredible broadcast team. And Randy Mamola is a legend before we even, before I even talk about the incredible charity work he's done with, 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 um, you know, riding for life and in the millions of pounds he's raised for charity, um, over the years since, since bike racing. And of course he was an incredible bike rider, bike rider as a Republic, one of the greatest, if not the greatest to never win a world title, um, as it is. And then I'm, I'm standing with him at the inside of cops, just chatting about bikes, um, and talking about the state of the sport, where, 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 why he thinks Japan might quit. I wish I was recording the conversation because it would have made for a fantastic podcast in its own right. Um, like Randy Mamola is an incredible guy. Like, and he was so generous. I like, was only meant to be a 20 minute ride. He, again, I did 45 minutes with him because I think he could tell that I actually really cared and was genuinely a huge fan. Um, 
again, I was in the Yamaha, yeah, I was in the Yamaha hospitality unit, just watching the end of FP two on on Friday afternoon with him and just chatting about everything. It felt like I was in a commentary box with him. And he said, Dre, like, are you, are you, are you a broadcaster? Because it feels like you've got the voice for it. And I said, well, actually, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, but um, that was incredible. So, look, I, I could go on for another 10 minutes if I really wanted to. I'm going to spare you all of that. But um, no, no, just going. That's the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, it's, it's got it's you also we also add a, uh, a another uh, welcome reunion of friend of the program now fellow commentator for the MotoGP world team Lewis Sutterby. Yes, the man, the myth, the legend. I got to see Lewis Cook in in person. Um, yeah, and yeah, like we, we had to get the money shot for the Discord server, but um, like again, I, I cannot stress enough how immensely proud I am of Lewis and the fact that he is killing it alongside Matt Burke in, on the on the Matt Burke on the World Feed commentary is remarkable. He does an un- unbelievable job. He works so hard. He is an encyclopedia of stats and knowledge and he's a brilliant commentator and the fact he came through us and the fact that we're now arm in arm and we're both professional broadcasters and journalists is immense like just giving him a hug and just saying my dude we made it (laughs) it was it was it was remarkable i've said about it before i've said as a humble brag the fact that four of us started out doing this and we've all gone on to be um professional journos in our own right partly through this is remarkable as a hit rate someone hire cam already like cam is an oracle of knowledge like i'm afraid of commitment (laughs) (laughs) but um immensely proud to see him i just want to get a few shout outs to to, because i want to mention a lot more people before i move on real quick so i just want to say Again, huge thanks to Matt Beer and Glenn Freeman of the race who thought of me and to give me the opportunity. It was the best motorsport weekend I've ever had in my life. Um, and I was very proud that my media pass, which I don't know if you can even see on this Riverside here, is now hanging on the back of my door because, in my opinion, you never forget your first um, in, in many in many facets of life. Um, so thank you. <laughs> So thank you to Matt and Glenn for thinking of me. Um, it was incredibly nice of them. And I got to be on the Races MotoGP podcast for the first time in my debut on that. And we uh, got Harrison V. Patterson. It was a thing. And I did actually kind of uh, let Patterson know about that going in. And he actually just he just laughed it off. Like, Patterson is a great sport. Um, like, shout out to him. Like, again, Simon Patterson took off. Like, I... I I know we've not always been the kindest about his coverage on this show, and I'd be a fool not to admit that. However, in person, he was an angel. He looked after me. He he reserved the seat on the desk next to him. Didn't even ask to do that. He just did it because he just thought of me. Um, He helped me through the media debriefs on Sunday afternoon and that whole idea of separating being a fan and being a journalist and just getting into that routine of what it's like to be in a paddock. Um, he and his and his wife, Maddie, were angels. They they were tremendous. They made me feel welcome. They made me feel special. And they were fantastic people to be around for all four days. So a huge thank you to Simon and Maddie Patterson for that. Um, a huge thank you to Matt Oxley and David Emmett, who I actually got to meet in person for the first time. They, they have been huge inspirations 
towards the work that I've done. They are absolutely incredible. They are the two best biking journals in the business. I don't disrespect anybody else, but David and, and Matt are great people. And like, again, Matt was incredibly welcome. It was like, oh, first time, Dre. And I was like, yes. And like, guys, David Emmett recognized us. We were like, like you're oh, from- God. It's like, you're from M101, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, keep up your tweeting shit. We like that. (laughs) (laughs) David Emmett is a class act. Matt Matt Oxley are both tremendous class acts. Um, You know, again, just great journos, great people. Um, Again, incredibly kind and gracious with their time and, you know, were just very welcoming when they didn't have to be um and they were shout out to to matt don who's also uh, and josie smith part of the american racing team who was on the desk opposite me as well um fantastic this uh, matt's done you might have heard him before like commentating on moto e he's now with the um, american racing team in moto 2 him and josie are again amazing people very kind um gracious with their time as always Catherine dick who, who was also there as part of because they actually had this idea where they were, they were bringing future journalists along to help with the media coverage of their Grand Prix weekend, a fantastic incentive to try and get people into the industry. Um, I wish more places did that. So um, huge shout out to them um, for being able to do that. Um, again, everyone at the, the race I was on for their podcast with us, and I've got to include uh, Val Karinevsky as well. Again, another fantastic all-round, brilliant journo for Formula One, MotoGP, fellow sports nerd. Um you know, on, on all of that. So again, shout out to all of them. And of course, um, a huge thanks to Monster for, for putting me up, um, you know, and just the amount they actually put in. It wasn't just a matter of, um, you know, being in the media center, but, you know, just getting interviews, getting coverage, tickets to the concert, the VIP village. And I was able to take pictures of the actual championship trophy, which is nuts um to be able to do that what are you showing up in the uh, intro <laughs> when i get a job as a bike rider like i cue like they could put me in the light box i'm sure they can figure something out um but uh yeah just an incredible incredible weekend um and yeah i hope i i hope it's not the last one i'd like to think it won't be but you, you i never i never rest on my laurels so you never know what will happen but if 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 it's if it's just this one it's pretty friggin' special. So uh, thanks to everybody that made it an amazing weekend. Again, shout out as well to Patrick, Rob, and, and Imogen as well, who I was part of the Monster crew, and Tom Baker, who was, you know, no Doctor Who references here, but yes, Tom Baker um, of the um, of Monster for, again, thinking of us and setting that all up. Uh, it was incredible. They were fantastic. So that's enough about me for now, I think yeah. it's fair to say. No, no, <laughs> like, you've, you've honestly, like, earn so much of that with your knowledge of the sport like it's it's so crazy to me that it took this long for you to get an opportunity to actually do something like this but you've you've knocked it out of the park and i know this is not going to be your last opportunity to do something like this thank you rj that's very kind of you to say oh just before i move on real quick for those who are fans of this stuff and the written stuff in general there's already one piece on the race regarding my general thoughts on Silverstone as a race weekend. 
that's on there right now. I joked on Twitter that me and Simon Patterson working on the same ep- on the same article is a bit like the final episode of Dragon Ball Super when Goku and Freezer are fighting Jiren. Um, which is, if, if you know, you know. Um, so um, I thought that was quite funny to you anime fans out there. There is one more piece that is actually a solo piece written by yours truly about one of the men I'm about to talk about. It was on the Pretty, and his name was Miguel Oliveira. So I'm going to have my first solo article on the race later this week. So if you're, if you're, if you're a fan of how I generally get down in terms of a writer, you're in for an extra treat. Um, so, um, yeah, I never thought I'd see myself on the race in written form with my name on a piece, which is wild. But here we are. Yeah. Um, what can you no, say? No, um, yeah, that 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 does sound incredible. Like, I'm looking forward to that. All right, so should we get into the British Grand Prix? As we said at the top, best Grand Prix of the year. Alicia yes. Spargo won a classic British Grand Prix silver so this weekend. Francesco Bagnaia actually led the vast majority of the race, as he typically tends to do, after a beautiful double pass of Jack Miller and pole sitter Marco Bezzecchi. Bezzecchi crashed out shortly later after locking his brake through Stowe, trying to chase down and retake the lead from Bagnaia. It looked like Bagnaia had it in the bag, as he always does, but with a brave pass out of Stowe into Maggots from Alicia Sparker on the final lap, It won him his second career MotoGP race. And for the first time in their history, all four Aprilias made the top 10 with Miguel Oliveira going from 16th to 4th, Maverick Vinales 5th, and Raul Fernandez leading that achievement in 10th. Dre, what does this result mean for Aprilia? How good was that race? Probably the best MotoGP race since the start of 2022, I want to say, comfortably the best race in a good year and a half. This sport needed a race like this this weekend. Like, we had a five-week-long winter break um, because of the Kazakhstan cancellation. And summer. It, you know, f- summer is debatable, especially in England if you saw the weather. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not great. Climate change is a bitch. We need to do something about that. Anyway, yeah, like... This was like the sport just kind of felt empty for the five weeks we weren't racing. And it's nice that even in not particularly friendly conditions, not with particularly friendly and conducive bikes at the moment, that we still were able to have a brilliant Grand Prix with action all over the front. We had five contenders for the win across the course of the entire race distance. We thought it was going to be a Banyaya, you know, take the lead, then can't pass him sort of race. We've seen this so many times before in the last year and a half where someone can stay with Banyaya, but they can't pass him. Um, and Banyaya put in a real champion's ride to, you know, to even get 20 points out of this in the end because Ducati did not have it all their own way this weekend at all. Like Strange, because they've had it their hmm. way for, like, most of the season. Yeah, like... Before this race, Ducati had won 14 out of the last 18, and three of the other four had come from Alex Rins on two different bikes. More on him later. But um, it's, it is wild that Ducati has been so dominant, and this was peak Aprilia conditions. It's cold. 
and it was low grip because it, the track was constantly green because of the amount of rainfall that we had. And in those sorts of low grip scenarios, Aprilia shines. That's how Alessio Spagaro won his first Grand Prix at Argentina last year because you forget that the Termas Rio del Hondo, no one races on it besides MotoGP most years. So the track was dusty as hell. So low grip, that's when Aprilia shines. And Alessio Spagaro, I'm stunned he didn't hop off the bike and immediately put his nuts in a wheelbarrow because of how large they were to be that able to... Hell of a guys. Yeah, like you're doing 170 miles an hour into maggots on the MotoGP bike, side by side with Francesco Bagnaia, who is the latest of the late breakers normally. He reminds me of Dovi on those sorts of last lap scenarios where you cannot outbreak him. You've got to get a run of the gods, and that's exactly what Aleish got through through Stowe, which, again, incredibly brave corner to take a gamble on, given that the rain was coming down and it was hitting the back end of the track the hardest. And Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, too. It was like mm. a non-zero amount of moisture. There's, there's less grip off that line. Yeah, with about eight laps to go, it started to spit, started to cool <laughs> off, and... As you said, Dre, that's really when the Aprilia, uh, the traits of that bike come to the fore. And Aleish just, if Gap biked it, and it worked. He, he said that motherfucker, and it worked to perfection. And yeah, that that was an even more impressive win than his first MotoGP win. Because let's not forget, his first win, he beat Jorge Martin in a shootout. One of the fastest men in the world on two wheels. <laughs> and like, like that was some minor thing. And this was him winning from 12th on the grid. To and, and and won it with with half a lap to spare and beat Banyaya head to head to do it. That's incredibly difficult to do, no matter what sort of scenario or what sort of pound for pound measure you want to say about these bikes at all. Like in, in, incredible, you know, in, incredible performance from Malaysia, and a prettier in general. Like this was Miguel Oliveira. Miguel Oliveira. We cannot talk about this dude enough. Easily the best performance from a rider who did not win this Grand Prix. And Rain God himself, he cashes in one of these per year where he just looks like the most incredible rider in the world in wet conditions. And again, on they're getting there, RNF with the Saprilia. It, it is mm. taking some time, but they do seem to be getting there. And oh, maybe oh, yeah. Pedas, like uh, I, I think it was on the run out of Stowe, pulled off a, a great double pass in the closing stages of the race. Final corner, Cam. Final, Final corner. corner. Club. It was like it was the final quarter where he got out and he passed Binder and Vinales at once. It was incredible. Like I, I talk about this a little bit more in my piece on the race, which will probably be out by the time this podcast goes out. But Miguel Oliveira's career has always been one of promise, but never quite fully realizing his full potential. And it's easy to forget. There has been no rider more dinged up. Maybe not having a catastrophic injury like Alex Rins' leg break, like, but a guy that's been beaten up over the course of the year like Miguel Oliveira has. He was spiked at Portimao by Mark Marquez when he locked his break. He had a leg contusion that took a round to recover from. He finished fifth at Cota, which a lot of people don't remember that Miguel Oliveira was fifth that day. And then he was clattered in that free bike scrap between him 
Bez and Fabio at Haraf, and that put him out for another round. And his shoulder, his shoulder is still not a hundred percent after that incident. He admitted it after the race in his debrief that he's not at a hundred percent yet, and he had to pull out of the Aston TT before the break because the shoulder pain was too much. Like he had to park it. He he, he could not. He said he could not grip his handlebar properly. That is just mm-mm. that's a no go. You can't race in those conditions. So. There was a run. I think it was. I looked, I looked at the lap times to make sure on this one. Between laps 14 and 18 of this race, Miguel Oliveira took four seconds out of Francesco Bagnaia. It was an average of 0.8 per lap. There was, I think, two laps in there where he was 1.2 and 1.3 seconds quicker than Francesco Bagnaia, the best rider on normal. the planet. <laughs> Very normal lap time chart. Yeah, I mean, can't really put it better myself, honestly. Um, and, and really, it's been a shame watching him be hurt so much because you take time to get used to a new bike. And the fact that he's doing this well, despite the fact that he's been knocked off his bike half a dozen times this year. Yeah. Um, it really, it it's it should be better than it is. Hmm. It should be better than it is, and Miggy's not been 100% pretty much the entire season. He's on last year's bike. I actually asked him in his debrief, is there any chance they can give you this year's bike? And he said, no, but they might have updates for stuff that they could pass over. But he said, even then, it might be a bit sketchy because the 2023 Aprilia is so different from the 22 version that it might not actually help him out all that much. He said it's possible, but we're going to have to wait and see what Aprilia wants to do. Because like when he has been he- reasonably healthy, Mickey is still fast. And I-, I remember like he was the star of preseason testing last year where everybody thought, oh, hang on, M- Mickey's adapted to an Aprilia real fast. This could be one to watch. Um, and we're starting to see some of that potential come out. Couldn't quite get on the podium because he was a shoved by Brad Binder, as the Lord does, um, in the fight for the last podium spot. But uh, incredible ride from him to get to get from 16th to 4th. That boy nice is Miguel Oliveira in a nutshell, um, because he just does shit like that two or three times a year. Um, so yeah, like inc- incredible stuff from Aprilia. And this is going to be a theme because we're doing an IndyCar episode after this as well with Andretti. I just wish they could do this more. Like yeah, yeah. So the overarching question is what does this mean for Aprilia? Not much, realistically, because uh you couldn't have gotten a better a, a better situation for them, and it took the mother of all passes to overhaul uh Peco. I need to see more. And that feels like that's a big theme of this year is that oh, it's great. We need to see more. And then we don't end up seeing more like Marco Bezzecchi. Oh, yeah. Marco, Marco was going for it. He was trying to break later. And uh, I guess when y'all are watching this, like I had so much going on that I couldn't watch it. One of the people on our discord that was watching along with us was just like, he's going to fall. And then he puts it on the floor, low sides it, out of second place, trying to take back the lead. That, God, that's that's a killer. Well, the problem is we've seen a couple of these crashes where it's not actually the mistake that puts you on the ground. 
because those that don't know, basically he locked his brake with these overloaded, not especially fit for purpose Michelins. When you go over pressure, you have risk of locking the front tire mm. and releasing the front brake. Normally that should get you out of trouble. Well, because these bikes are generating so much arrow and so much dirty air, if you get in the slipstream of someone, you can't get back on the brakes. You just crash. Yeah. We saw it in this case. We saw it with Mark and Portimao. We saw it with Nakagami last year in Catalonia, where mm. we all raked him over the coals. And it turns out he got on the brakes and basically had no stopping power. It's a fundamental problem of these bikes. And they, they now generate so much downforce that um, we are now seeing genuine dirty air consequences of getting on the brakes and now nothing happening. It was a terrifying crash. He was at 125 miles an hour when he hit the deck. Like Stowe is, even on bikes, it's a very fast corner. Um, and it's you're going uphill, it, the apex is blind, it's a difficult corner. And look, again, I spoke to Bez after the race. He said it himself that, you know, he needs to learn that, you know, if you're going to be following Banyaya, stay out of his slipstream under braking and go, go wider on the entry because... He got caught up in the slipstream, locked his front. And the only way you can stop your front from locking is to let go of it. And if you let go of it, your bike accelerates again. It's like playing a video. Like, you know, when you're really bad at a racing game and you can't help yourself, like when you break too early, you put your foot on the throttle again briefly. That's basically what it feels like. Um, and that's how Bez went down from second. And that's a real shame because it's now put him a full weekend back in the title race. Um, I want to say it's a 47-point lead 47 now. 47 yeah, 47 points back. So it means, yeah, Banyai has now got an entire weekend in hand in terms of points. Shout out Jorge Martinez climbed up the second in the standings. Mm. Yeah. Jorge Martinez. Like, will somebody other than Banyai on a Duke put up a title fight, please? To be fair, this one wasn't on Martin. He was punted wide um, on the first corner um, of, of the race. Kane had to come back to finish. I think it was seventh in the end. Um, it's just, I feel like this entire grid has just developed a bozo gene. <laughs> Even uh, Banyaya crashed in qualifying. Not that it mattered. Uh, all anything. of them. All of them have now have a bozo gene. It's it's inherent if you're on a Japanese bike. The bozo gene's actually in the bike. Um, <laughs> du it's doubled if you have it and your bike has it. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get to them later. But uh, yeah, it's 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 just whoever is screwing up the least. And right now, it is Banyaya, even though he is crashing bikes on occasion. Just he's not doing it in the key areas anymore now. He's not doing it in races so much, and that's what's bathing him out. Even though he didn't score any points in the sprint, because a shout out to Alex Marquez for getting his first win of any kind in the Yo, top flight. He won the be, sprint. That had to be great for the Harrison <laughs> shout households. To, shout out to Ryan Harrison for exploding. Oh, oh, oh! I, I had to peel him off the ceiling, and when I got, when I got back on Sunday afternoon, it was great. Um, he looked like uh, Cassandra from the first series of the reboot of Doctor Who. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, like good for Alex Marquez to get his first sprint when he had to survive because Bez was gunning him down on the final lap, and Marquez had to, had to hang on, but he did in the end and uh, picked up. Um, his first sprint win, so good for him um, on that one. But no, I didn't score at all in that race. He was sitting there with something about that Ducati. Didn't like his poncho either, given the rain that, that was affecting that sprint. But uh, yeah, uh, let's get into the next major part yeah. of this. because We got uh, silly season updates. 
we the, the, like we fought the summer we fought the summer break would call forth silly season and it has done so um the first major domino has fallen alex rins is leaving lcr honda at the end of the season and he's gone across the border he's going to the factory yamaha team to be fabio quadraro's teammate next year which was a genuine eyebrow raiser i was like wow like rins got bailed out the first chance he could possibly get wow. he, he is gone so we'll get into a little bit more of the silly season talk in a minute but what did we first make of the rins move uh, he's gonna have a much lower medical bill unfortunately he won't have a whole lot more winnings to pay for it right not, not in its uh, current state no because uh and to kind of do a minor sidestep, such was Yamaha's weekend that, well, Fabio Quattararo has given them a month. They have a month to show improvement or he's gone. It's over. You do not um, want to lose your ace rider when you're already down in the hole. Like Sometimes you, you need to do it just for the like, sake of rebuilding, but I do not think at this stage Yamaha can afford to lose Fabio Quattararo. Uh, both both the Japanese makes are screwed. I mean, what what does it say about Honda? Their their guy that did win a race ran out of that camp as fast as he possibly could, and he's still the highest scoring Honda as a result of Spike being out since Italy, and he's still not back yet. Yeah. And he's probably not going to be back for another couple of races because I mean that leg break was horrific. Uh, Iker Lekwona instead lost his chance to win the Suzuka eight hours Dude, to come I here and suck. suck. Oh. Man, I mean, I love that for a quick shout out Tetsuda, Aishima, Takumi Takahashi, and Shabby Vierhe for winning the Suzuka eight hours. Good for we them. Can't do a full segment on it. It was as expected. The factory Honda team dominates where there is not much factory competition to compete against. Well, it, it didn't happens. really help that the factory-ish Yamaha exploded a couple hours into the race. And basically, uh, we had to watch someone push a bike from spoon curve to the pits. Oh, no! Yeah. No, the, fuck the, that. The Yart Yamaha died out of spoon, and man, I would not want to be that guy. Uh, and it also rained, which... God, Suzuka in the rain on bikes. A Too a much sketchy. sauce. It's um, a bit sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what does this really tell us that we didn't already know? That Honda's in a bad spot in terms of where they're... Honda's to the point where they're quite literally running out of bodies to throw at the problem. Because you know, like, Wona was there because of contract. Mark doesn't want to be there. Mir has... Okay. Mir's got no choice. Mir's got no choice. And he's only just come back from injury and crashed, what, two corners into the race? Again, yeah. Yeah, bike just threw him off. Mark crashed later in the race, having already lost a winglet. Um, Repsol has combined for one Sunday finish this year. The Quotas matched him in one race. Mark has still not finished the feature race this year. Jesus fucking a half. Um, Nakagami debuted a new aero package, which in his words was an improvement in some place. It's very KTM like, um, mm. unfortunately I don't believe the Repsol boys can actually use it because their aero is homologated for the year. 
So I think it's just going to be more or less using Nakagami as the test dummy uh, in more ways than one uh, for the rest sense. of this year. In, in every sense. And Nakagami still finished, what, 16th with it? He was best Honda, but that's not really saying much now, is it? That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, it, Honda has a, a perfectly groomed successor in waiting for Taka Nakagami. And Igoris just decided... No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He took one look at that mess and said, uh, actually, I'm just going to keep doing me. Yeah. Like Ayagura, who has been a, who was meant to be a Honda lifer. He was groomed from and eyed up from the time he was a teenager to be a f- future Honda Moto GP rider has given up on being a Honda Moto GP rider and is apparently in talks to join Mark VDS's Moto2 team next year to replace Sam Lowe's because Sam Lowe's is going to World Superbikes next year. Um, no one wants anything to do with this factory team. No. No one wants to, like, the people who are there are there under contract and have no choice. Mark, unfortunately, looks like the Grassini seat is going to close up. Yeah. Um, there was well, rumors ironically, the break. Ironically, because of his brother. Well, his brother, I think, was always going to stay. Yeah, there's more yeah. of the other seat. The, the, what I was going to say here is, is that I, I listened to him on the Thursday press conference. Mark Marquez looks resigned to knowing he's going to be a Honda through next year. There isn't going to be another seat that closes up because the only one that's worth a damn, Ducati don't need him. They don't. He's not a threat right now. Mark Marquez can't finish a race, let alone win one. So, like, let him cook in the worst possible sense. So... Like this leads in quite nicely to the potential next fall in of the domino because the rest of this silly season is in the hands of Marco Bezzecchi. And from what I've been told and from what's now been reported, the choice is clear. Marco Bezzecchi has to choose either staying with his VR46 team, when a team he loves very much, a team that's got him in the opportunity, has got his foot in the door, and he's a title contender right now on 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 the previous year's GP22. Right now with Dukes, he he stays with them and he takes a GP23 for next year, or he goes to Pramac, replacing Johan Zarco, and he gets factory equipment. But likely he will not be able to take his crew with him. That will determine what happens next for the silly season because, as you've probably already worked out, Frankie Morbidelli is gone from Yamaha, obviously. And this free agent in the sport right now. <laughs> and he is about to fall all the way up onto the moon. Yeah, it's because it's likely. Uh, basically, what will happen now is, is that Fabio Di Giantonio is likely done in the top flight. There's rumors he's going back to Moto 2 next year. Um, the story goes is that whatever Bez decides to do, basically Morbidelli will fill in the blank. Whether if so, if Bez goes to Pramac, he will take the VR forty six seat that's been left behind. If Bez stays, he'll take the second Rossini alongside Alex Marquez, because Marquez was confirmed officially yesterday on social media, as well as Neymar apparently. Hmm. It's a fun joke. Um, but yeah, that is what's happened. Johan Zarco, if he is booted out of Pramac for Bezeki, allegedly has an offer on the table from LCR Honda. He does Make not want to go back to production-based bikes because he turned down being uh, Batista's World Superbike teammate, if I recall. 
if an aggressive V4 KTM made Zarko lose his mind to the point where he jumped from being their main man, what the fuck is this current Honda going to do to him? He claims he's a more mature rider now than he was when he was with KTM, and he says it would be an honor to try to be the one to fix them. Now, I don't, I I don't, think, it, I, I don't think it's on him, though. It's on HRC. I like, agree. I would say this. I think it's a pretty smart hire from Honda if they go get Johans like it, because I think he's an excellent baseline guy, and I think he's an excellent developing guy. And he's the only guy on the grid that's now ridden four different manufacturers' bikes. Well, he's on a current, on a, what is technically actually a more up-to-date bike than the factory Ducatis are running, because the factory Ducatis are more or less running last year's aero package. Right. Um, so he would be able to give them insight. The problem is it doesn't seem like HRC is listening to anybody. They just keep so, plowing their own path because they they don't want to invest in Arrow, and Arrow is the name of the game. It makes sense for Ducati to play it this way. I think for me, I think Bez takes that deal and goes to Pramac because I think I think Bez Bez has to be sitting there as a title contender, thinking, "Great, you've got a Nea Bastianini syndrome right now because you're doing exactly what he did last year." Take last year's bike, perform to a very high level, but ultimately not win the championship. You need to be on a 24 to have any chance of beating Banyar. You can't do it on last year's bike. Not not consistently. So if he wants to win, he has to go to Pramac. I don't see any other way for him. And if Ducati does that, they have now got a fleet of four of the best riders in the world, and they are all under the age of 27, which is crazy. You've got Bagnaia, Bastianini, Bezecchi, and Martin on your four headline bikes. That's a fleet. They could form a Megazord with that kind of power. Dude, Jorge Martin, just for the sake of continuity, is going to have to change his surname to Jorge Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not wrong. I'm not um, wrong, but like, yeah, that's a, that's a step. That's like kind of like the kind of fleet that was just like, well, Ducati's dominating, but all the riders are so competitive. Like, like if that comes together, buddy, now now it is actually making sense. Now you are cooking something. Maybe I do just think it is hilarious in all of this that Franco Morbidelli, who a couple of months ago looked like he was probably done in the top flight, is about to land on the best bike in the field and leave Fabio Quartararo floundering in 17th. It's what he does. It's what he deserves. I don't want to see Franco Morbidelli. I didn't want to see Franco Morbidelli going out sad on a, on a sad bike, and we all just think that he never recovered from that knee injury. I think we'll learn if this goes through in 2024 and he does get out of Ducati if he's still got something in the tank. It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Um, Certainly still effective in low grip conditions because he oh. was extraordinary in the wet on Saturday. Yeah, like and in the, in the like as Jason points out, championship wise, Morbidelli is only six points behind Quadraro. Like I think last year the damage was done with Morbidelli, but he's definitely been better this season without question, um, and. I said it on the racist podcast and I'll say it again here. There is such a huge gray area between his ACL being repaired and Yamaha's overall decline as a factory bike. It's genuinely hard to tell what he's going to do once he's on the Ducati. 
and I'm actually quite fascinated to see how that goes up because him with the Yamaha is all he's ever known as a MotoGP Premier Class rider. So we to forget see this guy was a crash away from being world champion versus Johan Mir in 2020. Yeah, he was championship runner-up like in 2020 on a on a two-year-old bike by all accounts. It, like, Morbidelli is a, as, as a is an incredible upside in terms of a rider, and I hope it's still there, and I hope with his repaired knee on, an, on a Ducati, he brings out the best in him. Because I know all of the Ducati satellite teams, whether it be VR46 or Grassini, are both very high on him as a rider. They think they can genuinely bring his magic back. It's like, basically... Come home, Frankie. We've cooked your home-cooked favorite of a spaghetti carbonara here for you. you. We can fix you. We can Come- actually fix you, but it's not delusional. <laughs> Come enjoy Uchio and Nadia Padovani's cooking. Like, we'll, we'll heal you up good, basically. So we'll have to wait and see how that turns around. Some other little minor things to clean up. Like, like I mentioned, Johan Zarco was offered the World Superbike seat at Ducati alongside Alvaro Bautista um, for next year. He said no. Apparently that seat's going to go to Nicolo Buliga. Remember him from Moto2? Oh, uh, that's a blast uh, from the past. Yeah, so he's, he's killing it in World Supersport right now. So he's going to be going to, he's going straight into the factory seat next year, apparently. Um, so that's going to be fun. Um, as mentioned, Ayagura might be going to Mark VDS. There is also one other seat in question. So if this plan rolls out and Bez goes to Pramac, which is looking likely from what I've been told by Simo, um, I think it's the no-brainer move. I think he has to take the Pramac seat on. There's going to be an open seat at Grassini. Apparently, it is a straight fight between Tony Arbolino, who's leading the Moto2 Championship right now, yeah, and Jake Dixon. Whoa. This is going to split we, the did room. We, did, we mention no as well, did we mention as well the uh, the upcoming free agents for next year? Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Mark, Mark Marquez, both factory Ducatis, Fabio Cotteraro, and Alicia Spargaro are all free agents next year. Yo, yo, the Angels have got to make a splash. They need to get somebody to convince Shohei Otani to stick around. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like Shohei Otani could do something on that Honda. Oh, 100%. I, I don't know. He's, he's, he's very, very, very tall. He, he could at, least, at least he could baseball pitch it out of the track vicinity. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Uh, and as mentioned earlier, Fabio Quartararo yesterday, as of time of recording, was hot. He has had enough of this factory. Yeah, he, he said straight up, you've got till the Misano test in a month's time to show me something to keep me beyond the end of next year. Otherwise, I'm gone. And I and me and Simo immediately texted each other and said, Aprilia. Aprilia needs to be all in on this. If they if they have any whiff of getting Fabio over, go get Fabio. Because it's looking like Aspargaro is going to retire at the end of next season. He's been very open in saying that this is probably his final contract in the sport. He's 36 years old as it is. He's getting up there in age. Fabio is your headline rider alongside Maverick Vinales is a very strong team. Oh, 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 well, I know how this ended at Yamaha, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ma- Maverick Vinales now tries to blow up a V4 instead of an inline four. That's how this ends. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about a little bit about this final rumor because, like, this is one that split the room massively. I, sp- I spoke to many people in the media center about this, 
and like David Emmett is uh, adamant it's going to Dixon. Jake Dixon is in line for a Grassini Ducati seat in 2024 with Dorna's backing as Warner Brothers, the parent channel. Discovery. Yeah, remember, let's not forget, the Warner Brothers are Discovery's owners. They also own what we now call TNT Sports, the official MotoGP broadcaster in this country. Um, they are planning their own docuseries, very similar to, as mentioned, MotoGP Unlimited, and they want a British mouthpiece to front that docu-series. And apparently they have Dorna's blessing and backing to get Jake Dixon into the Premier class next year. I don't know how I feel about that. Is the series right to push this hard for the British market? And by the way, did anybody see his blow up on Moto2 after after he was caught in the incident with Darren Binder? I, I personally thought he was just being a whiny bitch. Personally, I don't think Darren Bender did much wrong. I'm I'm glad you said it because I wrote about it on, on the DRR post about this, and I was like, like the media center was like, oh, Dixon's been taken out, and I watched the replay, and I was like, hang on a minute, like okay, Darren Bender's taken a slightly narrower line through the final corner, but he's really not done much wrong on this one, like. Hmm. Uh, like Dixon was trying to go around the outside of it on the final corner, which you just you can't do. do. You, no. you, can't, you can't do that. Generally, you can't do that in F1 car, let alone a bike. Um, no chance. You're asking a lot of the person you're passing uh, uh, that you're passing to try and give you some room. Excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, this, uh, this I, room. I, I didn't feel. I, I didn't feel that Dixon had much of a basis, but hey, it made for great television. Yeah, which is kind of a proposal because, like, it, I've it, seen, it, I've seen, hmm. like, in other series, like where I guess smaller or mid-market uh, countries they want to get somebody in a motorsport. They have the television provider just like throw them a bunch of money to to make that happen. I remember, like, was it? If you recall your IndyCar, like Mateus Lice, God, unrealized potential there. But apparently, like, Brazilian television was, like, willing to throw money at the sport to make sure that, you know, they had at least one, if not multiple, Brazilian drivers in IndyCar. And that's how that happened. Mm. It's crazy to think of the United Kingdom as a mid-sized market for any kind of motorsports. But that's where they are in terms of the MotoGP landscape compared to Italy and Spain. Britain has been the third wheel for quite some time. Um, the best we've had in recent times has been Cal Crutchlow, who was, again, a genuine MotoGP race winner in his own right and a very likable rider in general. Um, you know, people warm to his blunt sense of humor, and we all got behind that. Yeah. This is an interesting one because, like, first and foremost, I don't like how TNT Sports shoved the microphone in his face mere minutes after that incident. They were looking for a soundbite, and they got one. Like, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to say this. Leave Darren Binder alone. Darren Binder has largely been clean for the last two years. Like, Even I, I can admit that. Like, I thought... Like, I mentioned this in one of the last videos I ever did on Motorsport 101's YouTube channel, that... They were talking about bringing in a super license 
just because Darren Binder was entering the top flight. And, and all the riders were bitching about it in the middle of a press conference. And I thought that was incredibly mean. Like, and don't get me wrong. The guy had dive bomb on his levers. He didn't help himself at times, right? But he was largely fine in MotoGP, and he's been largely fine since being in Moto2. If anything, he's been on the other side of multiple incidents so far this season that weren't his fault. Darren Binder has largely been fine for a good year and a half. And I don't understand why, why he's now been typecast as Mr. Crasher just because Jake Dixon rode into the side of him at the British Grand Prix. And then Dixon is basically, dra- like basically dragging up old ground to say, oh, he's an absolute idiot. I'm faster. You can tow, you could tow off me, you know. Oh, that, you've that's... ruined my championship. You've ruined everyone's championships. And I'm just like, dude, it was so uncalled for. Like, you were at fault. Like... It's that sort of shit that I can't stand because it puts me off Dixon to a degree. And he doesn't deserve that because generally here, we like Jake Dixon. Like, he's a lovely guy. He's a very genuine, sincere personality and incredibly likable. Like, if you if you listen to his backstory about him growing up in Dover and dreaming of being a bike rider, and there's also his, his, his partner who's a cancer survivor as well, like... He was an incredible talent in British superbikes as well. He's a very likable young man, genuinely. And of course, you shove a microphone in his face when he says most vulnerable. Nasty work. I'm not a fan of it. I genuinely am not a fan of it personally. And you pretty much put it perfectly. Like they were looking for a soundbite. They looked at a powder keg ready to go off and they got one. This is like, Dorna has wanted a British rider in the top flight for quite some time since Bradley Smith moved on. They know Britain is a big market. They've offered to have their moto, like their home MotoGP race offered out on free to wear the last couple of years. ITP pulled the plug on that at the last minute, which apparently did not go down well. Um, and oh, in case you need a state, a, a state of the union address, on how many people are watching the, the TNT broadcast right now, we got access to the numbers. MotoGP's live coverage during the British Grand Prix peaked at 100,000. Yikes. Oh, that's not good. It actually, peaked during, it actually peaked during Moto2, believe it or not. Mm. The after, in, in, in what would normally be MotoGP slot. Like the attendance was actually up twenty percent. It was just under fifty thousand on Sunday, which was an improvement. They tried throwing in like musical concerts because they had the Kaiser Chiefs, Chase and Status, and I think it was Razorlight. Oh, were- dude, that's bringing me back. That's like uh, old you trap shit. It's like <laughs> great. You've brought in the fantastic Hall of Fame crowd of two thousand and four to come down and perform, <laughs> like that's like they've tried to make it more value for money and it was an improvement to get it to 50k but apparently the Silver are not pleased about that turnout especially when f1 did 160,000 this year at race day a new record for an f1 weekend i think it was um 
yeah, Jason, you're absolutely right in the chat as well. So, yeah, someone from the... I can't remember his name, but the lead singer of the Sky Chiefs was handing out the sprint medals on Saturday. Um, but yeah, like, it's... They want a British rider badly. They know it's an untapped market. They know it's their premier English-speaking market, which is what the sport is broadcasting at the end of the day. Um, so it's in their I best love interest. for us Americans, I guess. <laughs> Years of Kenny Roberts and... Kevin Schwantz and Wayne Rainey and Nikki Caden. It's just like, nah, we're good now. <laughs> and now they, they apparently they are, they are giving Grassini an arm around the shoulder and saying, look, financially, we'll make it worth your while if you put Jake Dixon on one of your bikes. Even though Tony Arbolino is objectively a better right, a better bike rider at this point. Even though there's been some pretty good British riders that have never gotten this sort of push. We have five dudes in Moto2 and Moto3 combined right now. Like, we have something. It's not a lot, but it's something. Like, there wasn't this push for Sam Lowe's. There wasn't this push for John McPhee, and God bless him, TNT tried. Um, I was gonna say I, there was that push. It just never got anywhere. That was yeah. that was that was that kind of 2015 Roman Reigns push. Yeah, mm. like I, 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 I Cal Crutchlow and Bradley Smith didn't penetrate the British market. What makes them think Jake Dixon will? <laughs> The, the one thing that I hope comes out of all of this, if this deal does come down, is that Jake Ditson comes on his first interview as a MotoGP rider. It's just like, you know, Dave, my good friend David Zasla from Warner Brothers Discovery, he recalls me one pound Jake because I'm the only genuine article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. <laughs> exactly. It's... I don't know, man. Like I, 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 I like Dixon. I think he's a decent rider. I just don't think, you know, I just don't think he's going to be the needle mover that a lot of people want him to be. We, like I said, better riders failed to do it. Bradley Smith was a genuinely very good bike rider. He was top independent in the championship one year when he was at Tech Three. Cal Crutchlow is a MotoGP multiple time race winner. And people didn't get behind him like that. No. Who's so like what, the last British rider that people got behind? Was it really Barry Sheen all those years ago? Carl Fogarty. <sighs> and, you know. That was on production really, bikes. Yeah, was, not, re not really Grand Prix bikes. bikes. Yeah. It was, it was, that was back then, World Superbikes was a more prolific series. That's because Mick Dewan was just grinding everyone into a pulp every year. Yeah, World Superbikes was more popular in the UK, late 90s, the MotoGP was, because nobody cared about McDoohan here. Like, that's harsh on McDoohan, who was, like, obviously, I mean, fucking one of the best bike riders ever. We all know that. But, like... Britons just can't stop hating Australian people for, like, five minutes. Oh, well, oh, trust me. When when it was Wolds in the early 2000s and it, and it was Troy Bayliss versus Colin Edwards, who do you think everybody supported? USA! <laughs> USA! Give USA. us the Texas Tornado! <laughs> they all got behind Colin Edwards. They were not, 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 not... I was one of the few Bayliss fans out there. I love Troy Bayliss. I think he's an incredible bike rider. One of the best ever. Love Troy. Um, but no, again, like, we Brits have this really un... like, really uncool shit about stereotypes about australians and german people it's just how we get down unfortunately 
Yeah, I'm summing it up. I I like Dixon. I think he's a I think he's a charismatic guy. I think he's a very likable personality, and I think he's very easy to like. And they're not exactly being subtle about pushing him to the moon on TNT Sports, and and I think he I I, I think he's going to risk getting exposed like DG Antonio did at the highest level if he ends up getting that seat. I think Tony Arbolino is a more exciting talent than him, but I also like Dorna's always gotten down this way. Dorna likes having big name riders in big name markets. They were pushing Johan Zarco to the moon for years before they lucked into Fabio working out. And now they're doing the same again um, with, with Britain because they want a British market and they think Dixon's their dude. And good luck to them on that is what I say. Um, and, then, and then what makes you think that like the second attempt at a docuseries is going to go better than the first one, other than it, the, it's going to be primarily in English this time. Before I get out of here, I will say this wholeheartedly. If they think copying DTS is going to magically get them a whole set of fans, they have completely missed the point. Like DTS did as well as it did because it was a it was lightning in the bottle timing. Like Formula One has had a lot more cultural relevance in this country for a lot longer. Like people know what Formula One is, even if they don't watch it in the UK. What DTS was was the accessibility bridge that so many people needed. Like I I wrote about this on the race where I just said, look. It turned a lot of people who knew what F1 was but didn't understand it into people who cared about it. That's why it did so well in the UK. That's why a bunch of people got into F1 that didn't before. People knew what F1 was as a sport but didn't know enough to understand and care. That's what DTS did so well, especially when the world stopped turning in 2020. We all know why. MotoGP hasn't got that cultural relevance anymore. It has never recovered from when it lost its BBC free-to-air slot on BBC Two when a million people were watching a race every weekend. You're literally at a tenth of that viewership. Yeah. They've lost 90% of their TV audience. Like, you know what probably was what was part of the problem as to why it only got to 100,000 viewers? was half of their hardcore fans were probably already at the track in the first place. <laughs> oh, there's some irony for you. <laughs> yeah. So you need to ask yourself, where did all these bike fans go? I've, I've said it before, and it's the one thing I agree with Mark Madden from Wrestling Punditry Infamy. Well, he's always said, at one point in America, there were 15 million people a week watching wrestling. Where did all those people go? Like, that's what MotoGP needs to figure out. It needs to figure out where it can get these people back through the door. It needs to market its series a lot better than just saying, hey, here's our docuseries. Please care about our dumb sport. It's just, it's just the same as all those different. It's just blindly, it's blindly copying what F1's doing because, hey, it's working for F1 without really looking into why it's working for F1. Hopefully, I, I really hope I'm not about to jinx, jinx something. Right. But we don't have another global pandemic sitting in the wings to lock everyone to their Netflix apps on their TV, and the front page on Netflix is plastered with Formula One. Dude, it's, it's not even going to be Netflix. It's going to be Discovery Plus, and you know it. It's going to yeah. be Matt's. Okay, well, 
Well, that garbage ass application, sorry to say, mm. um, you're not going to lock people in their houses for another year and a half and plaster the Max app with MotoGP. It's just not going to happen. No, you, you can't just lazily put out a docu-series and hope that people are going to flock to your sports. Like, like I, shit, we, we, we've been talking about this for weeks with 100 Days to Indy. Yeah, it didn't did. work out. The show that it was, didn't, the it show didn't that was, work out with NASCAR in recent years. Yeah, yeah, and the NASCAR show, had a peak. Yeah, the show that had 12 viewers and 11 of them were Zoe Hamilton. Tell me I'm wrong. Go it's ahead. Gonna, it's going to be interesting to see if that makes the final edit. Um... <laughs> you're it's not, not wrong. It's not an... It's objectively, like... Who went out of their way to watch CW's indie series on the race that IndyCar bases their entire marketing department around? Well, yeah, it was is... getting it was getting zero point zeros in the ratings towards the end of its run. I mean, I, I'll be. Can you go lower if... than zero point zero? No one was not, watching. Not it. really, but apparently NASCAR is willing to test the market by putting an entire series on America's fifth largest television network by a mile and a stretch. See, like, look, you need to like. I'll give I'll I'll, I'll, give, I'll put you an example a basic example as to why this isn't going to work. Even Formula E plastered the London Underground with posters about the fact they were having a race at the XL Center last weekend. On a basic level, there is marketing. Why are you not targeting the big public cities and saying, "Hey, we've got a MotoGP race at Silverstone this weekend. We still have tickets available. Come on down." You know. Look, I actually don't even really blame Silverstone. They've tried to make it a more affordable event. They've cut the ticket prices down. They've added a musical concert. They've taken that German model of trying to make it more of a festival atmosphere. I, I applaud them for trying, right? They've acknowledged that they got too caught up in Formula One. It's 480,000 attendants over the weekend for F1. You need to promote your series so much better than just dumping it on free-to-air have with a network that isn't that doesn't care about it. They they're a touring car network, ITV. They don't give a shit about having MotoGP. Like they didn't have, they they had a John Wayne Weston in their time slot where MotoGP was meant to be this weekend. ITV don't give a flying fuck about MotoGP. Put it on a free to air network that actually cares. Put it back on the BBC. They're like, like they can get some cheap, they can get some cheap coverage in. They did that before and it worked. Like, promote your sport properly. Use your riders talent, but don't just make another docu series thinking you'll do what DTS or Full Swing did. I don't, I don't see a rush of people who have become tennis fans because Breakpoint came out on Netflix earlier this year. Anyone? It, are you a Nick Kyrgios fan now, Cam? No? Uh, exactly. And that guy seems like wild and, and like crazy in unpalatable ways anyway, so I wasn't inclined to be one anyway. But oh, like, oh, don't worry, you're on fuck Nick Kyrgios. Let me make one thing clear of his domestic violence having ass. Like, fuck that guy. But still, like, it's... Like the, the sport needs to be pouring money into other areas. It needs to be... be Doing it the old-fashioned way, billboard. Here's a here's a bright idea. You have a YouTube channel. Why don't you just stream the sprints for free? There's thought. 
Well, we're going to convince and moan about the existence of spritz and how many there are to begin with. Why not just put them out there for free? Get a little taste of the race, a little appetizer. And they'll be like, ooh, there's another one of these? I'm going to check that out. You, you you copied F1 by putting the sprint format in and you've not fully utilized. Like, yeah, you're, more people are watching on Saturdays, objectively. Good. You could get even more if you put the sprints on, on, on the YouTube channel for free. Here's what you're missing out on. You get 20 laps of this instead of 10 tomorrow if you subscribe to our video pass or you buy a TNT subscription. It's the basics, man. Right, let, mm. let's get out of here before my head... Before Dre has an aneurysm live on the show, which mm. would be entertaining, but it would be quite difficult to find yeah. a place and for Yeah, and then also it would mean that you probably wouldn't have many more opportunities to do like the awesome stuff that you did this past weekend. Right. Like, it, that's what makes it so frustrating. Everybody I spoke to as fans, and I did actually meet a couple of people that recognized me, so which was really, really cool. So shout out to people like Erica um, and Catherine who bumped into me during the weekend. I was like, Dre, we listen, we watch you. Like, like, bless you, first and foremost. Second of all, everybody I spoke to, including if you, if you read my racist post, Ollie Card was down there, who does all our creative stuff at the race and at WTF1. Also, notwithstanding, nicest man in the world. Trust me on this. He's an angel. Love Ollie. Everybody loved the event that I went down to. Everybody I spoke to about it said they loved the weekend. They loved the event. It's just there wasn't and there wasn't anybody there. That's the problem. They put on a good show. You need to tell people that it exists. If a good show happens and no one's around to watch it, was it good? Exactly. They've got to promote this series and they've got to they've got to take some marketing licks. To, to, to promote this thing because they're not going to be able to, they're not going to do it just by taking the sprint race format and just copying F1. It, it, it doesn't, it's different horses for different courses. And then they need to, they need to figure that out. Right. Let's get out of here. I've been Dre Harrison. Like MotoGP is back in a week and a half's time um, at the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull ring. Expect another potential domino to fall in silly season by then. Probably. I'm looking at you, KTM trying to get free riders onto two bikes. Keep an eye on that situation between Augusto, Espargaro, and Pedro Acosta. Um, but yeah, our next episode is going to be on IndyCar in the streets of Nashville. And it didn't suck. I'm as surprised as you are, really, honestly. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Who? <laughs> oh, really? I don't watch tennis. <laughs>